на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут на зеленом... Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. Sorry it's been such a long break, but we've all had... Uh, the World Cup's been very messy, and then we've all had a lot of things in the beginning of the season, unfortunately, so we've not really had much time to dedicate ourselves to this. But we're back on it now, and we will try and stay in it as we used to. So let's keep this going. Anyway, let's uh, introduce our guest today. Um, first up, it's our ma- man in Siberia. I'm not sure he's in two minutes at the moment. I, I overheard some gossip when I wasn't really involved in the conversation, and that's Andrew, <laughs> Andrew Flint. <laughs> No, very, very much into you, man. Looking forward to um, domestic football continuing this weekend. Everybody focusing on top flight football, which is not really very interesting. It's all about the Faniel and um, the prodigal son returning to Tuman, Mr. Stanislav Prokofiev. But uh, I'll I'll play ball and talk about international football for today. We we always like your Tuman anecdotes, so feel free to sort of pop them in if you need to. And actually, to be fair, Andrew, you've had a couple of um, top flight matches there this season, haven't you? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been good to have Yancey Krasniewski in town. Um, the Siberian brothers, as the stadium announcer, tried to encourage us to get behind them. Um, they've now left, unfortunately, taking with them a higher quality of football. And that's quite depressing to say when it's Yancey that's a higher quality of football. But that, it is what it is. And we've seen some top flight football. More to come in two or three seasons' time, hopefully. Maybe even next season, we'll see. Um, and our other guest today is uh, the wonderful David Sanson, who I actually had the pleasure of meeting out at the World Cup. A wonderful chap. He is very knowledgeable. Hello, David. Welcome back. You are so kind. So I actually met Andrew as well, didn't I? Met you outside. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> I like that. I met you both. Yeah. David's lovely and knowledgeable. Oh, and I also met Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I totally <laughs> forgot. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I think we all, well, we all met each other then, because I, I, I met Andrew as well. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the good, the great unifier, the World Cup. It's been, uh, it's been good for RFN. Good stuff. So last night um, was the start of the UEFA Nations League. I feel like I should just explain what happens with this UEFA Nations League. So the UEFA country split into four tiers: A, B, C, D. Russia's league is B. So each one has um, twelve teams divided into four groups of three. So Russia got their campaign away last night. And they beat Turkey away. So, David, I mean, I think it wasn't the greatest of match, but it's really good to pick up three points at this early stage. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, as far as I'm understanding it, there's only four matches in a group of three teams. Um, so, yeah, to start off with an away win uh, against, you know, a country that on paper you'd say could give Russia a very good game or could beat them. Um, you know, it's a cracking result. Uh, I thought actually during Russia were the better side for most of the game, um, which is not something I imagined saying nine months ago. Um, but no, they they played really well. I thought, and I thought they thoroughly deserved the win. Um, so it's really yeah, a really good confidence booster and good start to this campaign in there in this new competition. And Andrew, just as I mean, we'll get on to Russia's sort of the importance of the Nations League to Russia a bit later on. But I just want to reflect on the match a bit firstly. And the thing that came out for me is that Denis Cheryshev is such is Russia's best technical player. We saw that fantastic volley for the first goal last night, and it's so important that he's in the squad. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent agree on that. And I was I was saying to my um, my watching companion in the pub last night, it's it's a surprise to me why it's taken so long for him to be integrated into the national team setup, even though he hasn't always played regular 
season-long first-team football while he's been out in Spain. But his quality is is clear. His technical ability is clear. And as I even saying to David just before the pod started, um, that you know we we were both talking about the lack of natural wingers, and and Cherishev has that ability to fill that role. Um, but oh, lovely, lovely technique. Although he even ever so slightly sliced the ball, his technique was good enough that he kept his head over it, so he didn't sky fly, you know, fly miles over the bar. Um, and that's that's the sort of little extra extra element of, of quality that the Russia needs. So yeah, brilliant. I agree completely. Brilliant to see him in the setup, and I think he's probably nailed down his first team place for the foreseeable future, which is only going to be good news for, for the Russian national team. And David, let's move on to another key player, and that's Artem Zyuba, of course, who was the, essentially the hero during the World Cup, made captain last night in Akin Fev's absence. Perhaps a bit of doubt, given his temperament and his past sort of falling out with Chechesov, if you like. Bit of a doubt over the choice, but last night got his goal. Great goal, great um, run to time the offside, which all the Turkey players were looking at the line, wondering what was going on. But offside, I think you um, you sensed all of still earlier in, in the chat. I know the, the listeners can't see that, but it, it was clearly onside. And do you think perhaps Zuba being captain is really good for the future? Or are you not quite sure? I mean, we assume Akinfeyev will just come straight back into the fold, but Zuba's a decent replacement. Yeah, I'm not saying it's necessarily a good thing for the future, but it's certainly a good thing for the present. Um, you know, obviously he's a hero around Russia. You know, you're seeing him go to to Rostov, to Kazan, to, to Yemen, and just getting mobbed by absolutely everyone, uh, home and away fans. And if that's the same mentality inside the camp, before, if that's how the other players are looking at him, then I don't see why having him as captain, even if it is just temporarily... Uh, is a bad thing. Um, you know, he led the team well. He's he's a dominant figure on the pitch. Uh, don't necessarily know if he's so dominant off the field. Um, but he led the line well. Um, he he played really well, and he, yeah, he got his goal, which he uh, he thoroughly deserved last night. I thought. I was going to say, Andrew, that David talks about we don't really know what he's like off the pitch. I mean, we get the impression he's a bit of a abrasive. Perhaps is a bit of a harsh word, but he's certainly. For, for a bit of a joker, as we understand it. I mean, is that captain material for you? You know, I would have given you a different answer about six, 12 months ago, which would have been no. But I kind of am coming round to the idea of him, even if it is, as you say, as only a stand-in for Akinfeyev. You know, we saw, I'm sure you guys have seen the videos of the players celebrating Chichesov's 55th birthday, where... It was clearly Zuba-led, where they all put on those fake moustaches and, and, you know, Chichasov was grinning. And that, for me, ever so slightly tied in with the first Zuba goal in the World Cup, where Chichasov did the whole salute celebration with Zuba. I thought, you know what, if that's what smooths over whatever problems they may have had in the past, if that feeds a little bit of Zuba's playful, joking nature, then I say fair enough. I don't. I don't really see a problem with it anymore. It's a different type of captain, but it might be the type of captain that perhaps will do a good job for um, for Russia. So I would say, yeah, I, I'm I'm behind it. Uh, Juba needs his ego to be fed a little, and if this feeds it, then I'd say it can only be a good thing. And talking more about the squad in general, David. We saw a lot of experimentation sort of on the bench, actually. Not much gone onto the pitch. The only thing I perhaps would point out is someone like Neustadt, who we do know is previously capped. But 
that into would you say there should be more experimentation um i think he i think he played it well last night um Neustadter obviously plays his football in Turkey. I think that would have been one of the primary reasons he started last night. You know, he, he'd be used to the atmosphere over there. He'll know the players he's playing against. He's probably club mates with a lot of them. Um, but he played the safe. You know, he played one of his stronger 11s uh, for the competitive fixture. And then in a few days' time, obviously, I'm sure we'll discuss it, they've got friendly against the Czech Republic. And that's the time for the experimentation. That's the time you, you maybe chuck on the players who have been pressed at the start of the season. You know, you You've got Yonov, who came on briefly last night. Um, uh, yeah, and whoever else is in the squad, I, I don't have it in front of me at the moment. Uh, so I think I think he played it well. And I think we might see, I mean, he's never been one to experiment massively. I think we might see a little bit of rotation, at least um, for the Czech Republic game. And Andrew, David touched on it there brilliantly and allowed us to circumvent into this uh, point about the Nations League. After the whole World Cup thing, which is obviously so big for Russia, and we saw them have a great performance getting to the quarterfinals, beating Spain in the, the first knockout round. I mean, fantastic performance. But there's almost this feeling of perhaps a lull now. I mean, we've, we obviously, we've seen the attendances really spike, particularly in the second division. I'm sure you'd know about that being there with two men and everything. But for me, the national team, I'm thinking, now that the World Cup's gone, they need something of a motivation. So this UEFA Nations League is actually... Really good because we've seen them struggle to qualify for tournaments in the past. They only got to the World Cup by being host, but before that, is it was difficult. So this is another way to qualify and also a way to keep the fans' interest up. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very much a fan of this new UEFA Nations League. And I, I'll be honest, I've been slightly bemused by why so many people seem to be confused by it. It's, it's really quite simple. It's just a little mini league. The winners play off and the winners of the playoff qualify for, for Europe. I think it's a good compromise as well because you can't simply make everything too heavily competitive all the time. You do need some chances to allow experimentation like you, you suggested or David suggested about the Czech Republic friendly coming up, which is important. This, I think, is a good compromise. There is, uh, there is a certain benefit to playing teams at your level the, for the smaller teams in Europe, it's it's a, a huge benefit. They actually have a genuine chance of qualifying for the finals. And for Russia, it it gives yeah, like you say, it adds that interest that is it is important. You know, the, the the fans are a very important part of it. It will help a connection to the national team. Seeing Juba score, had that been a friendly against Turkey, would he have been so animated? He would have been happy, sure. Um, but it means that extra. It's got that extra bit of importance. So I actually am genuinely hopeful for, for Russia getting something out of this Nations League because it will it will be a real shame if come Euro 2020, Russia haven't managed to qualify. And that's something else people ought to remember, that Euro 2020, there are no automatic places. There are the 13 host countries, I believe it is, but none of them get an automatic place. So there will be three games in St. Petersburg. And if Russia are... I don't know how the fixtures would be arranged if they would be guaranteed to play in St. Petersburg if they were to qualify. But either way, just to build on the World Cup momentum and the positivity around the national team, it would be fantastic. And this is Russia's best chance by by far. So, yeah, I think it's um, I think it's going to be very important. And David, your thoughts on the Nations League then? Um, God, I spent the last week trying to understand it all and work out how 
how it all works. Andrew just told you it was easy to understand, though. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I like I like the fact that it's for the mo- for the most part it's getting rid of these pointless international breaks where it's just friendly matches. You know, it gives it does give European teams some bit more bit more to go for gives the fans something else to look in to look forward to in the international breaks i mean yes we've got friendlies still but that's only because of the three team groups and the fact that one team always has to have a rest day uh, and they'll just be playing against other teams who also got a rest day so it's a nice way of sort of helping the teams out who aren't getting the competitive games there as well um and yeah obviously there's prize money involved there's positions in the uh euro uh, for european championships at the end of it and obviously promotion relegation so yeah it I think it's so at this point it, it looks like an interesting thing and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out certainly uh, for the rest of the what, what is it to the end of the year I think it's only four, if it's only four matches it can't last for that long uh, but yeah I'm looking forward to it it's um, Andrew just to back to the Euro 2020 thing about whether you're questioning whether they get into the group automatically with their city if you see what I'm saying the so group as the Euro 2020 groups so you've got uh, groups A to F. Group B is the St. Petersburg group. So that's St. Petersburg and Copenhagen. So all matches in Group B would be played in those two cities. So I, if um, if whoever, let's say, for example, Germany got drawn into Group B, they would just play in those two cities. I don't know how it would work with the automatic things. It, that will obviously be something that we'll come up against when the draw is announced. But just so I'd uh, enlighten you and, of course, the listeners about that situation. Um, but then, I mean... We talk about the Nations League, and let's look at the group. So we've we've got Turkey last night, and we've got Sweden, of course, in, in Russia's little trio. Obviously, very early to tell we've only had one match. But Andrew, I mean, and David, of course, us three are Englishmen, and we saw Sweden in the World Cup. Very solid side. I mean, without looking too far ahead, they could probably be the biggest challenge to this uh, UEFA Nations League for Russia. Yeah, I, I, think, I think they could be. Um, although I think this particular fixture away in Turkey for, you know, don't forget it was only um, two or three years ago when that uh, grainy midfielder Tarasov took off his locomotive top at the end of that game with the most polite president t-shirt. The tensions were high between the two countries. Turkey is known for having a, you know, intense atmosphere. I think the Turkey away game is the key fixture, really. I, I thought a point would have been good. Um, but Sweden are very organised, like you say. They, they don't have a huge number of standout stars. I suppose Emil Forsberg, the Leipzig uh, playmaker, he'll be the one to watch. But I think Russia should be able to cope now. The pressure's off. They've got those three points under the belt. So Sweden will be will be dangerous. But yeah, like I say, I, I think the fact that the next two games are at home and they've got three points under their belt, that Sweden away game being the final fixture for Russia... It's it's all in Russia's favour at the moment, so I'm I'm feeling fairly confident still, even though Sweden are a good side. And David, your just a quick opinion on how Russia will get on in this group in particular? Uh, yeah, well, obviously we've had a we've had a tremendous start. Um, you'd have to hope that obviously the the home advantage will carry on to play to their favour like it did in the World Cup, uh, and then they can certainly go unbeaten in the next two home games that they've got. Uh, if not getting six points out of them, um, so yeah, I think I think we have, or I see, keep saying we. I don't know why. I think Russia have a very good chance of earning promotion as it was to the to the next year after the after that first performance where they really <laughs> they did a lot better than I was expecting them to. Um, they they certainly controlled a lot more of the game than I was expecting, and 
I think they can certainly on home turf uh, keep that up. So let's stick to sort of the European theme now, but move on slightly. So let's look at the Russian club's prospect in Europe this season. So let's start with the um, the Champions League. We've got Siska Moskva, and they are in the group alongside Real Madrid. What a what a draw that is, by the way. AS Roma, another fantastic draw. And Sparta Prague, of course, a pretty decent draw as well. Nice away day in Prague. That would be very nice. And then we've got uh, Lokomotiv Moscow, of course, the, the, current, the reigning champions of Russia. They're going up against Schalke, Galatasaray and Porto, which is certainly a... Looks a very even group. But let's start with um, CSK. I'm just going to call it by the English name because I, I think the listeners would be most familiar with that. And Andrew, I mean, I commented on the Real draw there. What a draw that is. Oh, absolutely. And I actually think I'm not really a believer in the I want the biggest teams because it will make big games. I just want to get through. I want the easiest draw, usually. However, in CSK's example... Uh, with the ridiculous changes that have gone through their squad and the a number of young players who are still largely inexperienced, I think this is a perfect draw for them because nobody will expect them to get out of the group. And with Roma and Real Madrid, I just don't see the slightest hope of them of getting into the knockouts of the Champions League. So it's almost like a free pass. And at the same time, you get the, the crowds are going to be obviously sellouts to at least the Roma and Madrid games, possibly the Prague game too. And Sparta Prague are a manageable side for CSKA to... Sorry, CSKA, as you mentioned, we'll go with the English pronunciation. Yeah, go with what you want, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, the army men, shall we say. Um, getting that third place Europa League um, little lucky losers route into Europa League, I think that's about, about right, really. I think... CSKA will prove to be a lot stronger than a lot of people expected after losing um, well, the entire defence, Vernbloom, Narco, Vitinho, you know, it's those are huge names. And I think I think they will do well to get into Europa League, but they should do. That should be their target. And there'll be no shame in losing to Madrid and Roma. Um, but but who knows? Last season, even with a more experienced side, we never expected them to beat Benfica away. Uh, and and we did. So you never know. There could even be a shock on the cards. And David, I mean, you've had a lot of uh, tweets about the Cisco squad this season and how and Andrew mentions it, how young they are. Am I right in thinking there's something like 40-50% of the players are t- what we would class as young players? Uh, if we're going under 23, then it's just, yeah, it's actually up near, nearer to 70. Uh, so, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at that draw, it's an amazing draw. These kids, you know, if they don't make it, this might be a once-in-a-lifetime chance. You know, they're going to go play at the Bernabeu, they're going to go play at the Stadio Olimpico and they get to host them at home as well. I mean, it's it's a tremendous draw in terms of the fans getting to see some top quality football. Yes, they might not get out of it. Um, you would certainly hope they could at least get third place and drop to the Europa League um, and maybe have a good run like they did last season where they got to the quarterfinals. Um, but I think they'll just be in it to enjoy it this season. Um, realistically, you, you would find it very hard to believe they could finish in the top two of that group. Um, but no, I mean, what a draw. What a draw for those guys. And David, I'm going to stay with you for the obviously our other Moscow team in the Champions League, and that's Lokomotiv, the reigning champions. Like I said, Schalke, Galatasaray, Porto. Very even group on the face of it. Yeah, I mean, on paper, yes. It looks a lot more attainable to, you know, you look at that squad, or you look at the group and you think, who is the favourite there? Uh, it, it's actually hard to pick a team who's the worst and who well, fairness, I'd probably pick Lokomotiv as the worst based on how they've started this season. But it is a tough, it's a tough group in terms of 
no one is superior but no one is mediocre they're all they're all seemingly at the same level um see with locomotives start the season it does make me worry about how they're going to get on i i do feel feel they will probably struggle in this group um They'll have, certainly have hope after that draw uh, that they can at the very least get a couple of points and I think like Siska finish in third as a worst option. Uh, yeah, m- m- much easier than Siska's group, certainly. And Andrew, your thoughts on the Loco group? I'm thinking, David, I think is right here that's saying that Loco are probably the weakest team in that group, but they're all beatable. We saw Galatasaray, were they beaten by Ostersunds last season? Of course, the Swedish team who were managed by Graham Potter at the time. They could... I think they should be challenging for top two, even though they're probably the worst team because they all, they all will feel they should be challenging for the top two. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is a an eminently manageable group. It's certainly it's even it's probably one of the most even groups in the Champions League. I'd say, arguably, um, the concern I have for for Lokomotiv is that they've been slow to start this season. But you know, having said that, they've they've only lost once and. You know, Fyodor Smolov has, I think, possibly suffered from the attention and form that Zuba had at the World Cup because, you know, only weeks before the World Cup, right up to it even, and in the first game, Smolov was the leading man and he fed off that as soon as he was dropped, and rightly so, his form wasn't good enough. I think he's, I think his, his form has suffered since, but he is still good quality. He can finish. We know he was linked with Borussia Dortmund and West Ham in the past couple of seasons. Um, Benedict Hovedes has not even played a minute yet. I don't know how much of that is fitness related, but even if he was fully fit, you've got a defence there with Kukvelia, Solomon Kukvelia and Bedrin Choluka, which is very well settled. I think Hovedes will do well to get into it. So there is quality in the squad and I think they will improve as the season goes on. Galatasaray, I think, are beatable. I don't think they are they're certainly not as strong as they used to be. Schalke stand out. And of course, there's the Stoffelhaus um, connection there, um, the sporting director at Lokomotiv. So perhaps a bit of inside information for him. Um, Porto, I probably know the least about. And I, Portuguese football, that's a very important fixture for the coefficients. Portugal, of course, are very close to Russia. So if Lokomotiv can at, the, at least make sure that Porto do not get through, it will help Russian football in the long term. Um, I, I'm leaning towards Locomotive sneaking through that group. I think Schalke will probably top it, but I think Locomotive have enough to to get through. The question is, will they prioritise it or not? Um, so oh, we'll have to wait and see, but I think they should be able to qualify. And David, I mean, I get the impression you think that Loco won't get in the top two here. Yeah, I mean, just based on how they've started this season, it has been... I mean, they didn't score the first four games, I think, of the season. Um, and then they relied on a tap-in from Kovac to get a win against, or I want to say Orenberg or Krilia. I forget which one it was. Uh, and then Smolov did finally score for them in, I think, his third game for the club. But it's still been a very underwhelming start. And uh, I'd certainly expect Schalke to be able to beat them. I think Porto could beat them as well. Although it will damage the coefficients, it shouldn't be too bad because uh, a lot of the other Portuguese teams have already dropped out. I think Porto, Sporting are the only two left. I'm not sure about Benfica. Uh, 
whereas Russia had five teams left in the European competition still. And then, yeah, Galatasaray is the one that's up in the air. And, you know, every year their squad seems to fluctuate on whether how strong it is. Um, and just, yeah, just based on how they've started, it, it's not been a positive start. Um, but, you know, last season they did thrive against the bigger teams, certainly domestically. Uh, so maybe, maybe they can surprise me. But at this point, I'm, I'm not looking not looking up for them to do well here. And then let's look at the um, the Europa League section now. So we've got Zenit St. Petersburg. They're in a group with Slavia Prague, Bordeaux and Copenhagen. Then we've got Spartak Moscow, of course, champions a couple of years ago, uh, Villarreal, Rangers and Rapid Vienna. And then we've got Krasnodar. And sorry if I butcher this for any Turkish uh, listeners. It's is it Akasia Belediye and then Sevilla and Standard Liège. So let's, uh, let's just go through it in order. I mean, Zenit's group here first, Andrew. What, what are we thinking of that? Well, I think Zenit have to be have to be favourites here. They, I mean, they can't afford to to not get out of a group like that. Um, of course, we have a couple of Danish colleagues at Russian Football News who are less than favourable towards Copenhagen. They are the richest club in Denmark, but they just they they I don't know. They I can't believe they will challenge uh, Zenit in Russia certainly. Bordeaux, I, I'm, I'm not so familiar with them, um, but they have had some some extremely talented players in the, in recent years. Malcolm, the Brazilian winger, was courted by pretty much everybody in Europe uh, a couple of seasons ago. Um, and I mean, Slavia Prague, they're, they're not even the best team in Prague, yet alone Czech Republic. So that says a fair bit for me. Um, I think as well, for me, one thing as well, Semak took a lot of stick for a bit of the squad selections he made for that Dynamo Minsk away leg in the qualifiers and losing 4-0 put a huge amount of pressure on. I think he's probably learned his lesson from that and will take this competition seriously because I honestly think the uh, the Premier League Zanita are so strong. I think they will be in a commanding position enough to be able to rotate in favour of European competition this season. So for me, it's any firm favourites to win the group. I'd be very disappointed if they didn't. Um, so that's what I'm calling for that. So need to win that group. And David, your thoughts on that particular group? I mean, Andrew mentions the Minsk tie and I'm thinking Zenit in Europe recently not really put on a good show. Um, I think in general, I'm leaning on agreeing. Even, you know, even against Mulder, um, they weren't amazing. I think they did rotate again for the away mate, uh, for the away leg there, having on the home leg three one. Seems recalled Zuba didn't start over in Norway. Um, but even the you know when you do look back at the Dino Minsk team, uh, on paper it wasn't that weak a team. It's a team that you would expect to do relatively well in the Russian Premier League. I think that day was just a bad day in general for that particular starting eleven. Uh, I think the starting eleven they put out could do better. Obviously, they still they didn't start Juba. They had Sabalotny, who's been pretty terrible since he joined the club, uh, leading the line, which wasn't a, wasn't a great move. Uh, but as Andrew said, I think he probably has learned his lesson. Um, and and yeah, you would fancy them to certainly against Copenhagen. I think they can they can do the business. Slavia Prague, I feel like will be a bit trickier, and then Bordeaux will presumably be the hardest test of the lot. Um, but you'd still fancy them, especially in the home games, to win, uh, win all three, uh, and that should be enough to take them through, even if it is just in second place. So, so yeah, I think I think they'll be okay. 
So let's move on to the next uh, Russian relevant group, if you like. That's Spartak Moscow. So they've got Villarreal, good side. Uh, Rangers, of course, who beat Ufa to get to the group stage. And then Rapid Vienna. Um, David, I'll stick to you with this one. Let's let's talk about Rangers first, because obviously you seem to you you love Ufa, basically, don't you? So you obviously <laughs> saw the Rangers match. So what's your thinking here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do like Ufa, and I was following their European progress very closely this year. Um, and I think they they were unlucky. They started the set, the uh, said you know they went to Ibrox and they did their things. Rangers, they just set up, shut up shop and really just defended for their lives and they were unlucky to concede the goal, um, which was just a spilled header from Belenov, you know, an uncharacteristic mistake. And other than that, Rangers struggled to break through. And it was the same in the the away leg. Rangers struggled to get through um, the Ufa defence for the most part. They scored a very good goal within the first 10 minutes. And after that, they they felt obviously comfortable because Ufa knew Ufa would then at that point have to score three goals to proceed uh, to the next round. They were careless, you know, they had two players sent off for, for lack of a better word, just bad temperament. Um, and Anufa really were close. They hit the post a couple of times. They had a goal disallowed incorrectly right at the depth as well. Um, but they did defend well with the nine men. But it still wasn't enough to make me think that Spartak, even without Quincy Promise, obviously left uh, on deadline day, uh, can, can face like a real trouble. Uh, you know, obviously they'll have the the atmosphere at Ibrox, which to contend with, but I think they still, certainly at home, will be able to, to beat them. Uh, and they'll certainly give them a good game at Ibrox. Uh, as for the rest of the group, Villarreal, tough game. Um, I, I think Villarreal, in theory, should be winning the group. Uh, and then Rapid Vienna, they really fluked it. I seem to recall they relied on a last-minute own goal to get through to the group stages. I can't remember even who it was against, uh, but it wasn't a good team. I remember that. So I think that certainly the rapid viewing game should be six points for Spartak. Um, the Spartak and Europe are very much hot on gold. Um, so yeah, that, that, that'll be an interesting group, certainly much more interesting than Zenit, so I imagine. And Andrew, your thoughts on this group? I tend to agree with David. I think VRL will top the group and I think Spartak should sp- sneak through in second place yeah I'd say so and uh, Villarreal away will be I wouldn't say a write off but I wouldn't really I wouldn't really pin hopes on getting a result there and I don't think it will matter I honestly was not like David said um, very accurately Rangers were not incisive and yes Ufra were more defensive than Spartak are likely to be uh, and of course Samuel Gigo will be uh, will be unavailable uh, for him with his injury, certainly for some games. I'm not sure exactly how long he'll be out, but his absence is is a blow. Um, but Jikia is back. Um, Kutipov will be back soon. Um, and I think they still have enough to to damage Rangers, uh, certainly certainly at home. Um, Stephen Jarrod has set up the side. It's a very good young side. I think they are They're certainly very athletic. They have a good playmaker in the middle with Ovi Ajaria. I was impressed with him in the the home leg, uh, it was the, their problem was really their lack of incision up front. And yes, they signed Kyle Rafferty, who's got experience. Um, Alfredo Morales looked, if I'm honest, a bit of a hothead. I don't think they'll have too much challenge um, shackling him. So I expect Spartak to have the have the measure of Rangers and, and Rapid Vienna. And 
you never you never know with Villarreal if um, if Spartak get a result at home and other results go their way, they may be able to top the group. But I don't think it will matter as long as they get second spot. We expect them to do that. They should be fine. Just before we move on to the final Russian-European group, Andrew, I'm pretty sure I heard some praise for Kutupov there from you, which is rare. Well, I wouldn't quite call it Kutupov. Acknowledgement of his availability is about as far as I'm going to stretch with. with <laughs> but the fact, the fact you're thinking, oh, he's available, that's okay. It's not like, oh, let's rule <laughs> him out with injury. In my books, that is that is strong praise. Now, I, okay, I, I will admit that he may not be the worst central defender ever to grace a Russian pitch. That's probably my honour. Um, but uh, no, no, okay. The man, the, the man is young. He's got time to learn, and he's got that boost of confidence from the World Cup, so he can only improve. Um, and he could well be an important player for Sparta this season. So let's move on to that final group then. That's Krasnodar's group. And again, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation probably. I don't know. Maybe I speak perfect Turkish, who knows? It's Akisar Belediye from Turkey. And then we've got Sevilla, of course, where Quincy moved to. I'm sure we'll cover that in a couple of minutes. And then Standard Liège from Belgium. So, David, let's move to you. We've spoken about Siska's young side. We, and then we also talk a lot about Krasnodar's young side a lot of the time. So how are we thinking they'll fare here? Well, it, it's... It certainly, I have more doubts about this one based on how they've started in the league. It's 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 not been an inspiring start to the season um, from Krasnodar. Uh, I don't know whether that's just the lack of small. You know, they had him for the first couple of games and he scored twice, I seem to recall. But even then, they weren't amazing. You know, they lost the opening game of the season uh, away to Rubin. And then they they have limped through a lot of the games since, um, especially after small left. They just, they just seem to be lacking some creativity. The defence is really missing Grankvist as well. Um, they bought in Uros Spajic from Anderlecht. He's he's not been good. He's made a couple of really bad mistakes. Um, I, I certainly remember the one against Orenburg. Um, he was he was certainly at fault for that one, and he was at fault for one of the goals against Rubin. So there just seems to be some holes in the squad which aren't being, which haven't been adequately filled. Um, as you said, they've got the youngsters. They they've been given games to even Ignatiev up front. Um, they gave him two matches. Then they swapped him out for Ari. Ari then immediately got sent off um, for three games. So Ignatiev has been back in the side. Uh, and their last two matches have relied on late goals from uh, another youngster, Shapi uh, or Magomed Shapi Sulemanov, uh, 18 years old, and he scored two very late goals and equalised against Orenberg and a winner against. Lokomotiv uh, to get them some points on the board. Uh, I mean, when you look at the group, Sevilla, you'd imagine, should beat them. They should be able, Krasnodar should be able to get something out of the standard the age games. And then the Turkish side, I'll, I'll admit, are an unknown for me. Uh, I do not know much about Turkish football. But any team who's gotten this far should be decent enough. Um, so I think it will be. This will be out of the European, out of the European League groups. This will be the ones the Russian side struggles the most in. Would you go along with that, Andrew? And also, just a just a point here about Krasnodar in general, and I'll come to you as well, David, probably on this, is that we always speak about Krasnodar being this new project and how they're going to challenge for the the titles in Russia, and we've been saying that for a long time now. This is now, in my opinion, the time that Krasnodar should be fulfilling their potential. Well, yes, you're, you're absolutely right on that. And I agree with you about the fulfilling potential. There's only so much um, 
time we can wait for the project to be fulfilled. I, I did speak to the director of the academy a couple of years ago, um, Aaron from Dukian, and he explained that the, the intention was for this generation, very specifically this year group age that they earmarked as first team products. Um, it, was, it was this year he mentioned. And I think, to be fair, uh, the fact that Shapi, um, uh, Margaret Shapi Suleimanov, one of David's favourite players, of course, um, he has been in the first team squad. And the fact that he's scoring, he looks confident. The, the, his goal against Lokomotiv, I thought he took very well because there was so there was such little opportunity on to score at face value because you know the ball was going out wide. He had to control it, turn back in. Um, you know, he took his goal so well. Ignatiev has played in a lot of games for the, the youth team, of course, in the uh, UEFA Youth League. And I think that's done him a world of good. Uh, perhaps we'll even see others like Daniel Utkin um, get promoted into the first team squad this season. So in terms of are they going to deliver, should they be delivering? I think, I actually think they will gradually start to deliver this season. We've already seen signs of it. So, I don't think we should judge them too strictly necessarily this season, but I think we will see more of them. And by by this time next year, I would be delighted to see Ignatiev and Suleimanov, Udkin perhaps, um, genuinely first-team players. And uh, if they do, I'd say that is justification of this, well, effectively decade-long project of Galitsky's. Uh, and hopefully, in the longer term, it will even benefit the Russian national team. And your thoughts on this group then, Andrew? Yeah, I think uh, I think Krasnodar should be um, should be looking for second place, like um, like Spartak. And Sevilla, I think, are again they've got pedigree in this competition, so they should really be uh, winning that group. And like we mentioned, adding Quincy to their squad, uh, not just for his knowledge of Russian football and what it's like, but his quality alone. I'd say second place. I would look for, and like David, I don't know enough about um, Akasia Beledier, um, but Standard Liège shouldn't be up to Krasnodar's quality on paper. What worries me is the form they've shown so far. It's been a bit unconvincing, but I'm going to I'm going to be positive. I think they should be able to target second place. So it seems we've all predicted our Russian teams to get, we, apart from Cisco, we've predicted to finish there. We've predicted they'll all finish in the top two, which means that none of them will finish in the top two. So well done, everybody. We've cursed them. So, <laughs> but let's let's move on to domestic matters now, just to sort of round off the pod, if you like. We've had a couple of pieces on the uh, the website recently about uh, Dinamo Moscow's uh, mess, if we should title it that, uh, by Vitaly Leonov. And basically... David, we've seen uh, we've seen this a lot at Dinamo. I mean, we saw them get relegated a couple of years ago, and there's a lot of things about uh, Vitya B support falling down, lots of financial troubles, possibly the club even closing, complete mess. And Vitaly's put these pieces on the website that have had to be very carefully worded <laughs> about a lot of messing behind the scenes here. Yeah, I mean, personally, it wasn't something I knew too much about. Obviously, we all know that they've had their issues with finances and financial fair play they uh, they were dropped out of the uh, Europa League three years ago and then were subsequently subsequently were relegated the following season not due to finances just because they play bad um, but there was certainly a lot of uh, not necessarily truth but rumours in the pieces that 
I was not aware of that had allegedly happened at Dinamo over the years. Uh, obviously, knowing Russia and Russian football, you wouldn't be surprised if a lot of it was true. Um, but it, it just goes to show what can happen in Russian football. <laughs> um, you know, some of the business going on are what's, you know, what I would imagine Russian football to be happening 20, 30 years ago, not in current present day stuff. Um, you know, and it's still going on. The most recent thing is obviously the stuff about uh, Konstantin Varausch and his, his transfer having some strange procedures and goings-ons and yeah so it's all a very odd situation which which uh seemingly is typical but i still don't know much about i mean andrew a lot of it seems to be based on uh conflict between dmitry hakhlov and uh roman shirokov here and that can really that's not going to be a compromise is it there'll either be one way or, or another yeah, I, I think the, the problem here, this is a personal opinion of mine. The the appointment of Roman Shirokov as sporting director was all because of his name. And I think a lot of Dynamo's problems have come from just just basic poor decisions being made at the top of the club. Shirokov is very popular um, across well, across large parts of Russia. But we've got to remember, his, his allegiances in the past have been to Spartak as a player. He was a Tiska youth player and a lot of people look at those allegiances and give them a lot of importance now it shouldn't be an issue but you do have to wonder because what experience does he have at being a sporting director at a club like Dynamo you need somebody who has connections with and knowledge of uh, the transfer market not just in in Russia but abroad um, and I think I think it's concerning because the relationship between him and Kokov um, as head coach that's a critical relationship, sporting director and manager. Um, but it, I don't really see how it's going to be resolved because, like I say, Shirokov uh, is a is a big name, and I think he's been brought in for the wrong reasons. Um, now, a lot of what Vitali wrote in his article, which is a fascinating read, I strongly urge any listener please go to the website and read part one and part two of his Dynamo Moscow focus um, is, is the, the youth team. Now, Dynamo's youth team have been very successful in recent years, perhaps not the last two, but I think they won the youth league, uh, the Russian youth premier league, whatever the official title is twice or three times in the last four or five years. So there is good work being done there, but, um, uh, Nikolai Kovadev, the head coach of the reserves, is is coming out saying that there is there is conflict at a high level, and this just it maddens me because it's you know basic things are not being done correctly. Um, the financial problems of the club, though, that's I mean everybody has known that the the VTB involvement is I mean we could be here all day to, listing every single thing they've done wrong, but. The sponsorship of the club that got Dinamo into financial fair play trouble in the first place, where the the sponsorship deal was worth three, four times what it should have been, um, and as a result they had to sell all the, the big name players and they were relegated. The mismanagement, how that's allowed to happen, I just I just can't fathom it. But uh, it's 
it's not it's not a good advert for running Russian clubs. You know, having just talked about Krasnodar, as the complete opposite, in my view, of a very well-run club, it's um, it's worrying times really. But I don't see it changing. And all this time, David, we've got a an almost derelict stadium right on on Moscow's main highway into the city that's uh, coming out, and we just don't know what the situation is with this stadium because they've had it built from the outside. It looks fantastic, but it's out of use. We don't know really who owns it, who will pay the rent on it, who whether Dinamo can even afford that rent if they have to pay it. And they're talking now about reduction in seats and things, endless delays. I mean, your thoughts on this on this stadium then, David? Um, well, as far as I'm aware, it was... I think uh, James was there during uh, during the World Cup and went and had a look at it, and it seemed to be quite close to being finished. Uh, whether that means we'll actually see football in it for the, in the next few years is another story. Um, I mean, they're playing, as far as I'm aware, the uh, Kimki Arena is quite far out of central Moscow, and uh, it, w- it would obviously be nice to have them playing a bit, bit closer to home, uh, but whether we'll actually see anything happening... Uh, in the near future is another story. I mean, I'm not even going to touch on ownership, who's funding it, how shoddy it may be. God knows who's building it. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, hopefully it's going to not quite be one of the other stadiums that we've had, but very, very dodgy goings on there. Allegedly, everything's allegedly. Just for <laughs> allegedly. the lawyers, just for the lawyers. Um, <laughs> let's touch back on the RPL general now. Um, so let's just. I'll, what I'll do is I'll run through the, sort of the top six, and then I'll go through the relegation spots as well, and then we'll just quickly talk about what's happened so far. So you have got Zenit on top, uh, Spartak in second, Rostov third, fourth is Orenburg. Great start for them. Krasnodar in fifth, Siskar in sixth, uh, Dinamo down in seventh. Um, as who we were just talking about. And then the relegation spots, the, the two bottom ones, Angie, a bottom, then Ural, just above them. Sorry, Andrew. Then we've got Ufa, who's uh, perhaps Europa League exploits have damaged their league form somewhat. And then we've got Yenisei just above them. So a um, couple of moments that have stood out for you so far in the league, Andrew. Well, uh, none of them involve Ural, unfortunately. Um, yes, it's looking pretty, pretty troublesome for us. Um, for me, I think the form of Orenberg, really, because they are a side I've watched um, firsthand quite a lot in the second tier, and they've always stood out as the most well-drilled side. They've got um, very experienced players. One of my favourite Faneuil-level players um, uh, is, uh, you know, my mind's gone blank, just to the point I need to be professional on the podcast. Um, this holding midfielder, help me out, Vadim Afrin, thank you, David. Yes, there we go. Vadim Afrin is um, is a brilliant, brilliant holding midfielder, and I've been a big fan of, annoyingly, of Orenberg's style of play. They've destroyed us every time, and to see them be competing at least at this early stage near the top of the table, I don't think they will maintain it for a European qualification challenge. But you never know. We are already six games into the season, and it's a significant part already. Uh, but most of all, it's entirely down to a former two men player, Andrea Chukanov, scoring two goals already. Um, one of them a stunning finish. Um, you didn't think I was going to leave this pod without a two men reference, did you? <laughs> no, it's always the way. There's there's always at least two, so I'm a bit disappointed, to be honest. But um, 
David, a couple of standout moments from you so far. Uh, I was thinking about this before we came on. And, uh, just just as you read the league, hearing Spartak attack being in second place, it's still a surprise because it feels like they've not started very well. They've sort of been solid but unspectacular. Uh, I mean, they've they played six matches, kept five clean sheets, and the only goal they conceded was a 60-yard shot from Dinamo's Dinamo Moscow centre-back. Um, but it still feels like they've not played amazing. Um, and now they've lost promise, it does it does seem like they, well, in theory, you'd expect them to drop off. They're going to have to rely on Samirdov, Lomovitsky, Pedro Rocha um, to come in and fill that gap, which is a big gap, obviously. Uh, so them being so high is actually a surprise to me just because I can't actually, other than that Dinamo Moscow 2-1 derby win and the Zenit, they just drew nil nil with Zenit. I can't actually remember what they did in their games. They've been so unspectacular. Uh, obviously, Andrew mentioned Orenberg, who've started the season very well. Um, very unlucky not to get the three points at home against Crestar recently. Uh, and I think we can't not mention Rostov. You know, they, they finished comfortably mid to lower league table uh, last season, but um, have started the season really, really well. Um, their, their only blotch was a very strange 1-0 home defeat to Kurelia Sobietov, who have not been amazing this season, which is very out of character. Um, but they, they started really well. They they haven't done much to the squad. They kept it still solid from what they had last season, just one or two additions. I think that's what's helping them keep up their form. And uh, and they've sort of they've got this squad unit mentality now. Obviously, they've got a very strong core of Icelandic players. Um, and they've got some young Russians in there in Skopinsev, Guliev and Zoyev. And it's just a nice mixture they've got in the squad there, which I think is uh, it's keeping them going along, especially in the new stadium, which is uh, is filling out really nicely. I think their game against Rubin this weekend was in the top 20 attendances in Europe because it, uh, it had over 40,000 fans, which was great. Um, then you mentioned, you know, Siska um, with their, you know, they lost so many players in the summer. Uh, and they're relying so many on so many young players, but they're they're playing very well. They started the season a little bit shaky, but they they seem to be improving every week. And I think we'll see them slowly climb up to the top four, where where they, in quote marks, belong. Um, and yeah, I think they're they're doing a lot better than people would expect. After you know they lost Vitinho, Golovin, Wernbloom, Natko, all the you know all the all the big players. Um, so yeah, they're they're my uh, they're my ones to call out. I think. And just sort of in an, any other business news on the uh, domestic front, we're hearing that uh, John Terry is having a medical at Spartak Moscow. He, I think he was due to play in a charity match for Stylian Petrov this weekend, and apparently he's not going to be there. So that sort of leads more evidence towards the fact he's going to Spartak, apparently having a medical there now. Andrew, <laughs> make of that what you will. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, just when we thought Stephen Corker might be coming to Moscow a couple of years ago, this is a this is a whole other level above that. Um, I, I part of me wants to believe that it's going to happen just out of a weird, morbid fascination for an utter car crash of a transfer. And um, the other half of me doesn't want to see that despicable human being anywhere near this country. Um, I don't know. I just don't know what to make of it. It, it part. I just can't quite believe it. I won't believe it until he is actually on the pitch because it's such an odd 
Well, I say an odd transfer. Perhaps it makes some sense purely because of Gigo's injury and his immediate availability. Um, but are Spartak really willing to throw their lot in with with somebody as, as expensive, as controversial as this? I'd, I'm really not sure Spartak have thought this through all the way, if it is serious interest, as we are led to believe. Um, I, don't, I just don't know what to make of it. John Terry in Russia just doesn't make sense. Unless, of course, we are thinking of the last time he was here a decade ago, and that was one of my favourite moments in quite some while as he slipped over on the wet Moscow turf. So perhaps he'll enjoy that memory. I'm sure he will, and that feels like a very good place to end. So once again, thank you to our guests, uh, David Sanson and Andrew Flint. Um, just to remind to all the listeners, do subscribe to this podcast now that we're back. Uh, thanks to the World Football Index again for hosting us. And then do check out the um, the Twitter page, uh, which is at Russ Football News, Facebook Russian Football News. Just search that and you'll find it, RussianFootballNews.com. And speaking of the Facebook page, Andrew, Predictions League. Well, yes, the Predictions League, we're, we're up and running again this year. Um, we have about 35 players. Uh, anybody, if you're half interested in Russian football or you're looking to get into it, this is a good way. It's a fun way. We predict results every week and you get points for predicting correctly. And we are going to hopefully source some good original prizes for the league this year, which we, we didn't do last year. But um, we'll be running a Predictions Cup. So if you've missed the first few weeks, We'll run a little little competition. Will be a knockout cup and uh, some prize money involved in that. So keep your eyes peeled on the Facebook page. And about Wednesday next week will be the post for week seven uh, for the resumption of domestic football. So keep your eyes peeled on that. Lovely. Thank you for that. And again, like I said, Russian Football News Facebook page at Russ Football News on Twitter, RussianFootballNews.com. Lots of great pieces going on there at the moment, including that uh, Dinamo Moscow piece. If you want to get more of a, a thorough reading on that, there's two. There's a two-parter there by Vitaly, so do go and check that out. And again, thank you for listening to the podcast and we'll see you on the next one.